You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, If you've got a copy of God's Word, would you join me in Psalm 16? Uh, Let me just take a moment to say thank you so much uh, for having me here. I love being here. I come from a church that's down the road. Yeah, that's me and my family. I'm the tall guy to the left. Um, My wife, Catherine, and our three children. Uh, We uh, have the privilege of serving in Oakville, and I also uh, have the privilege of knowing your elders and loving them very much, and also knowing particularly your senior pastor, who in a season of my life, we were both doing the same thing in terms of schooling, and he was a massive encouragement to me. Uh, He was about four feet ahead of me, and he kept telling me and encouraging me, and there were times uh, when Ross would stop, pick up the phone, call me, pray for me, so I am am super grateful for him and and honored to be stepping in uh, on his behalf today. Uh, The title of today's message is called uh, Choosing the Good Life, and that's a loaded term, isn't it? Uh, When you think of the word good life, what comes to your mind? Maybe some of you, it was the red gym bag that you got when you went once or twice, and it's just kind of sitting in the closet as a sign of judgment on you. Uh, maybe that's, that's your experience with a good life, or, but you've got another one, right? When you think of what's the good life, you may be thinking of things like the house, the car, the vacation, the family thing. The reality is, is Old or young, we all have a definition, and it changes depending on who we are and how old we are and where we are, of what the good life actually is. We all have some idea of something we could add to our life that would make it just a little bit better. Why do we think that way? Well, I think the reason we think that way is because most of us realize how difficult life can be. Some of us have it harder than others, and I think we can freely admit that, that I don't have the hardest life possible. There's someone who has it harder, but we all have some kind of pain in our lives, and pain or difficulty causes us to dream. It's like we're standing in a swamp up to our armpits in weed and mud and muck. The pains of this life surround us, and we're looking to the high ground. And we dream of something that can make this life a little bit better. So if I was to just crawl inside your head right now and ask you, okay, so what is your dream car? Because your car that you have right now is broken down, busted, tailpipes dragging behind you as you come to church, waking up the neighbors. What's your dream car? A Prius. Okay. Interesting. What's your dream vacation? Mexico. You went there for your honeymoon. Okay. Uh, What's your dream home? Under a million dollars in Ontario. Okay. Good luck with that. Or how about your dream health? And if I was to see inside your head, 
or dream family? What's the pain in your home right now that you're like, I just want that different? What's your definition of the good life? Sometimes, listen, it's excessive stuff, and I get that. I'm in that camp too. There's things that you want that you don't need. But sometimes, let's be honest, it's just stuff that everybody else seems to have but you don't have. Why can't we have the family that has this? Why do we have to go through children that have this? Why do we have to suffer the financial difficulties of like this? Why is it that you lose your job all the time with changes in this? Doesn't it seem like everybody gets that? Why can't we have that too? Well, what I want us to do in Psalm 16 is crawl inside the head of King David and see what his dream life was. You know, David, he's the guy that the Lord used to kill the giant. And it's easy to pour into his head because he wrote down his thoughts a lot, and one of them is in front of us in Psalm 16. What I want you to do is to look with David in the muck and the mud next to him at where his eyes are fixed upon. What's David's definition of a good life. Have a look with me. Psalm 16, verse 1 begins A mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word be opened, not just physically on our laps or on our phones, but opened in our hearts that you would reach in and communicate truth to us that we need to hear today. Some of us not even aware that we need to hear this. And as you teach us, Lord, I pray that you would comfort and care and remind us not only of your power and holiness, but also of your goodness, your kindness, and your love. We pray you'd lead us. We pray your spirit be moving in our hearts now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now before I tell you the main point of the message today, it's a short one, but let me give you two words that are sticking in your head that you need to know. The two words that are really important in verse one. The first one is the first word, a mictum. Now, I'm telling you what mictum is because you're going to sit there for the whole service, 30 minutes, whatever long I talk, and you're going to say, what is a mictum? He never even told us what a mictum is. What's a mictum? Do you have a mictum? Oh, you got a little mictum on your shirt. Take it off. No, what is it? Well, Hebrew scholars are universally agreed on this, that they have zero idea what that means. Okay? It's a musical term. We've lost its meaning. I personally am very used to not knowing anything about music, so if you're in this category with mictum, well, welcome to my club. We don't know what it means, okay? So move on. Can we do that? Okay. Second word is much, much more clear. It happens all over in the Old Testament. It's this word, preserve. It comes from the Hebrew shamar, which means to keep watch over. It means to guard. It means to protect. It means to watch over and to look after. Right out of the gate, this is what David's calling for. He's, and it's the cry that directs the whole psalm. And what's he asking for? He's asking God, please keep me close. Guard me, God. Please keep me right next to you, Lord. Please, God, protect me. Please, God, watch over me. I need to be right next to you. And that right there unlocks, that one word unlocks the whole meaning behind the psalm. Because what David wants 
is the Lord. And what follows, we're going to see, David's going to outline his definition of the good life. It's the Lord's definition also. We're going to see what David's actually really dreaming of in the pain and the hurts of life. Where are his eyes going to? And what we're going to see is it's all rooted in the Lord. And here's the main point. The the good life, we're going to see, is a choice that you make. And by the way, there is a right answer and a wrong answer. And the right answer is the Lord. The wrong answer is anything else. So here you go, three words summarizing the whole point. It's this, choose the Lord. Let's dive a little deeper and I'll explain. Still in verse one. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David wants the good life. David understands that this is only found in the Lord, and so he chooses to make the Lord his refuge. And you and I, we want the good life too. We want the same. We're going to do the same. And here's point number one if you're writing it down. I will choose to make the Lord my refuge. Now, the idea behind refuge is also another word that pops up in the Hebrew a lot in the Old Testament, and it's often paired up with the, uh, something that's hanging over top of it. It's, it carries with it the idea of sheltering underneath something. So sometimes it's paired up with a tree, and sometimes it's paired up with a bird's wing, and this is the idea that David's getting at. Lord, please keep me close. I need to be under the shelter of your wing for safety. I absolutely need protection right there. And this is a call for protection. Why is that? Well, because David, of all people that we read about in the Old Testament, David knows that the potential exists always for suffering, for pain, for hurt and failure. You could be driving along one day, everything's fine, and then something hits. He knows it. This is a preemptive call for confidence in the Lord. Just like you and I get in a car because we know what can happen if we don't wear our seatbelt, we put the seatbelt on. Just like if you were in battle, you'd wear the body armor because you know that if you don't, something could go wrong. Just in those cases, this is what David's getting at. I am needing to be under your wing, Lord. Anything can happen. I'm gonna shelter there for my entire life, not just when the dumpster's on fire, all the time. Now, why the Lord? That may seem like a pretty easy church question, but why the Lord? Why not something else? Why not David? Why not his armor? Why not his shields and swords? Why not his bodyguards? Why not his bank account? Why the Lord? Well, look what else what he says in verse two. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now that's deep. Did you catch that? What he's saying is that there is absolutely nothing good in my life that has not come from God. All the good come from the hand of a good God. All my good is in him. He's my fountain. He's the source of it. There is not one thing that's good that's come to me that hasn't come from God's hand. So listen, in my hurt, in my pain, in the sorrows of life, in the muck and the meat, in the weeds of life, I am looking to the one who is always good. I want the good life. And I'm going to take refuge in this good God. It's almost like David's saying, okay, you go ahead and shelter under anything else. Uh, See how that works for you. I'm going to shelter in a place where there's always good. Okay? You can pick something else. 
You can try something else. You can't find good anywhere else. I'm going to stay where there's actually good. It's almost like David does the contrast. In fact, that's exactly what he does. Look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will pour out, I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. See what he's doing here is he's comparing the saints and the sorrowful. Uh, like the saints and the ain'ts, okay? Uh, we get the contrast here, though. David's talking about the saints. We don't get a whole lot about them other than the fact that they're excellent. They're his people. He loves them. He looks up to them. They're his heroes in life. He's collecting all their baseball cards. Those are his boys. But the other people, by contrast, not so much. What we get from them? Well, they're running after other gods, lowercase gods, who are no gods at all. And did you see what kind of practices they're doing? They're adopting abominable practices like drinking blood. Okay, well, there you go. Options. You got options, okay? David says you can, you can go with the fountain of life, the source of all goodness in the Lord, where every good thing comes from him. It's only him, it's always him, it's only him. All the good comes from him. Or you can go with these people who give you no good and you drink blood. What are you gonna pick? It's not a tough decision, is it? Well, you say to me, well, that sounds extreme. Just because I'm not going with the Lord, does that mean I'm drinking blood? Well, no, it's not what he, the point is this. You chase after anything other than the Lord, it's gonna end in pain. You bring hurt on yourself. You stand in the muck and the mud of life and the hurt around you, and you look to something else that's not the Lord, it'll end in pain. You bring hurt on yourself. It's no wonder David makes the decision he makes. Look at verse five. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. David's going with the Lord. I have walked up to the buffet line of drink options and I have chosen the Lord. He is the one who sustains me. I'm gonna to choose to shelter under him, him the source of all goodness. He's gonna be the one who fills my cup. And then notice also at the end of this verse, you hold my lots. That's a big theological truth there. That, that says God is in charge of my life. Now, theologians refer to this term as the sovereignty of God. God is in complete and total control of your life. God, not man. God, not chance or fate. God, not presidents or prime ministers. God, listen, not even you. God is in charge of your life. God holds your future. Now, why is this a good thing? Well, because presidents and prime ministers can go bad. Men can go bad. You especially you, can go bad. You can make huge mistakes in your life, but God holds your life. He holds your future. God is good and kind and loving and unchanging, and he has given life to you. Doesn't that mean that also in his goodness he will lead you in the way that you should go? David says, yes, I've sheltered under this God. The storms of life are around me. He will protect me. He controls my life. And you and I step back, breathe in, and go, yeah, 
Come on, good life. Verse 6, David picks up agricultural language. He says this, the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David's been given an inheritance that's flat out beautiful. Now listen, to put this into perspective, uh, since we're dreaming, just pretend with me for a moment that you have a very wealthy uncle, okay? Never got married, never had any kids, and miracle of miracles, he loves you. Like you are his favorite. And so when he passes away, the will is opened and the will is read to you and you read from your uncle, whatever his name is, you have received a portion of land in New Jersey. I said that last service, everybody laughed. <laughs> Poor New Jersey. But there are places in New Jersey that are terrible, right? I was Googling New Jersey street sales this week and there's one street I came across, I don't have a picture of it, there's one street I came across where there's a pile of tires in the center of the street burning. Like this is a real estate photo. Imagine if your uncle left you that. You'd be like, oh, that's a neighborhood you just drive past. You accelerate to get out of. But imagine if it was a different part in New Jersey because these places exist as well. New Jersey haters, just hang on, of rolling meadows, farmland, rich arable land. What if that was left to you? That's the idea David's picking up. He's saying, I have looked at what has been given to me. It is a beautiful, the lines of this place are beautiful. I have a beautiful inheritance from the Lord. Do you want the good life? Then you will choose the Lord. There's no better life lived than a life that's lived to the Lord. You know, it's true in the hurt. We look to the good life. And what David is teaching us here is that we must choose the Lord as our refuge. This world is a hard place to be. Choosing anything else other than him leads to pain. So when we choose him, we seek refuge in him. Now there's more to David's dream. He's choosing the Lord not only as his refuge, but there's something much, much more I want you to see. And for that, I'll read the whole rest of the psalm, beginning in verse seven. I bless the Lord who has given me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh, flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All right, we're talking about choosing the good life. And what we've seen first is that if you're going to choose the Lord, you're going to choose to make him your refuge. But I want to show you this secondly, and there's only two points to today's message. The second point is this, then we will choose to make the Lord our reward. He's not just my refuge, but he's also my reward no, it makes sense, right? David's not just going to the Lord for safety and safety and protection, but he's also running to the Lord because as we're seeing and as we're gonna see, the Lord is his deepest desire in life. Let me put it in a way you can understand. Over the past couple of years, my wife is American. She's had to travel a couple times. Don't worry, she's not from New Jersey. Okay, you haven't offended me. 
But she has to travel sometimes. And we get separated over periods. You know, she's maybe running down with the kids to visit her family, or maybe she's going solo to hang out with a sister for a couple days. But she's separated from me for a bit. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think that I miss more? Do you think I miss the wonderful cooking that my wife puts on the table? Or her smile? Careful, men. There are landmines aplenty. What do you think I miss more? Her filling our fridge with groceries? Or just her? You get it. Pain and difficulty drives us to dream. And David's deepest desire is to be with the person who loves him the most in this world. David just wants the Lord. And let me tell you this, loved ones. If you get this, if you understand this, then this will change everything for the way that you live in this life. This is the secret to the good life. It makes sense that David wants the Lord for the many, many things the Lord brings with him. Look again at verse seven. I'll bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. It's this intimacy of communication. Why would I want the Lord as my highest reward? Well, why on earth would I want this? Because there's so much confusion in the world around me. Have you noticed this or have you figured it out? Have you figured out the world? I haven't. It's massively confusing. Who better to go to? Bringing the questions that you have of life. Put yourself in one of these categories. Where can I find good friends? What classes should I take? What degree should I pursue? What job should I take? Should I ask that girl to marry me? Should I say no to that guy? Where should we live? Where should we send our kids to school? Who should we vote for? How should I invest the money that you've given me? Where should I serve? When should I sell the house? What does retirement look like? Where do you go to find the answers for that? Well, David's got the answers because he's got the good life. David has the answers because he's got the Lord. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. The Lord gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. You know where you don't find it, by the way? You don't find it in your stuff. You open the garage and look at your kayak and ask it, should I retire now? I'll tell you right now, your wife's going to open the door and say, what are you doing? You don't ask your stuff that. You don't ask your bank account that. You don't ask your success that. That's the, but that, for so many of us, is the high ground. That's the dream life. Stuff, money, status. You can't find answers in there. You know why? Because all that stuff, if you haven't figured out in life, is transient just kind of goes. You try and hold your stuff in your hand and hold onto it forever, it's like holding oil in your hands. Here, let's try this. I have a bottle of olive oil in the back. I'll pour a tablespoon of olive oil in each of your hands, and I'll say to you, if you can bring that olive oil without dropping a drop to me in two months' time, I'll give you 100 bucks. Okay? You ever try and hold oil in your hands? It's like, Woo, holding my stuff. Got my kayak, my bank account, my Bitcoin. 
And then maybe you're smart and like, put my other hand under there. It doesn't work. You can't hold this stuff in your hands. It's transient. It comes for a moment, goes for a moment. But if your reward is the person of the Lord, ho oh, ho. Now that's like holding on to a mountain. And if you're missing the analogy, a mountain does not pass through your fingers. Because a mountain doesn't change. The mountain doesn't move. And the Lord doesn't move. And the Lord doesn't change. He's unchanging in his perfections. He's perfectly good, and perfectly kind, and perfectly strong, and perfectly loving, and perfectly merciful, and perfectly kind, and perfectly wise. Come on now. Bring on the good life. Verse 8, David's still dreaming. It's a bit like a worship song to us. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Now there's a neat thing in this verse I pretty much guarantee you've missed. Now to, do, to show you what it is, let me just ask you a question, okay? Here's the question. Look down at verse 8. And I'll ask you the question, where is the Lord in this verse? Well, he's right in front of him, Craig. Oh. Wait a second. He's also at his right hand. So he's looking ahead, but he's also at the right hand. Well, I've never seen that before. You heard the expression, right hand man? That's the idea here. Listen, and this is so important. This is so important. Not only is the Lord David's goal, that's his high ground, that's the good life, the destination to be with the Lord, but watch this. He is also right next to him in the weeds. He's the one that's the finish line, and he's the friend who gets you to the finish line. What a comfort that is, believer in Jesus Christ. That the one who has saved you and the one who calls you into his eternal presence someday very soon is also the one who holds your hand and walks with you in the midst of the deepest pains and trials of your life. And how difficult life is. I'm sure I could pull back a layer not too thick and get a story from every one of you. This life is filled with heartache and pain, and yet I will not be shaken by it. I will not reel, I will not totter, I will not stagger or fall because the Lord is at my side. Come on, good life. He will carry you, believer. He will walk with you. You're not going to go solo. That's guaranteed. That's why Paul said to the Philippian believers that he was sure of this, that he who began a good work in them would carry it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Just honestly, your Prius can't do that. Your Bitcoin can't do that. Your money can't do that. Your career can't do that. Your vacation can't do that. All of these things that can be gone in an instant, oil through the fingers, they can't do this. Only the Lord can do this. And, and, praise God, he does it.
with every single one of his children. It's no wonder David says this in verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad. And you pause. What, glad? That's all you got? That's the only word you got for this? David, you should be overjoyed. Oh, wait, keep reading. And my whole being rejoices. That's more like it. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. No matter what life can throw at me, no matter how hard things get, I will not be abandoned. I am secured forever. I won't be abandoned even in death. I can trust in this. And why can I trust in this? Well, you say, because you're a student of God's word. Well, God said it right there. Black and white, and God who never lies only speaks the truth. And when I read that, that's truth. And I say to you, yes, amen. But with this truth, God's done more. He's not only said it's true, he's also proved it. You see, these verses that we just read, that's not the only time in scripture these verses are read. They're read a thousand years after David wrote them in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection, when Peter stands up and says the same thing, and he says, these verses point to a greater truth in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. They foreshadow, he says. I love that word foreshadow. You know, That's the idea of like you've got a light behind you and you're walking into a room and your children can see that it's the shadow. And they say, look, it's daddy because there's no hair and he's kind of bald. That's foreshadowing. They know it's me because the shadow's coming. Peter says, we know that's Jesus. And you and I, now 2,000 years ahead of Peter, can see, well, that's Peter talking about David 1,000 years before him who was talking about Jesus who was to come. And about a decade later, Paul's going to stand up in front of Antioch and say those same things. You see, Paul and David, Paul and Peter knew something that David is testifying to the reality that the Lord will never abandon you. So how do you know this is true? It's doubly true because one, God put it in his word. Black and white, it's truth. And then secondly, because Jesus died on a cross for your sins, suffering judgment and punishment and abandoned himself, forsaken himself, so that you and I, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, would never have to go through that same thing. And then... Here's the great truth. Peter says in his little exegesis of his sermon of this passage, he says this, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. And I love this because it was not possible for him to be held by death. That's like a mic drop verse right there. And loved one, follower of Jesus, death is defeated. And we are reconciled to God because of the work of Jesus Christ and now cleansed by faith in Christ. So how can you know that he will never abandon you? How can you know that you will be secured all the days of your life? How can you know that this will happen? Because Jesus died for you. Because Jesus died for you. The Son of God, fully God, fully man, gave his life in your place. Come on, good life. That's what we look to. I want the good life. 
I'm going to choose to set my eyes on the high ground of the Lord himself, not just in his refuge in this life, but also the reward of who he is. I'm going to choose the good life. He, the source of wisdom. He, the source of joy. He, the source of security. Now look at the last verse with me, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. No doubt. We get it. We understand it. We're with David. We're tracking. The greatest reward for David is the reward of following the Lord and having the Lord. But listen, this verse is teaching us something true. It's that following him to a path along a destination is not the only part of this life. Wisdom, joy, security, protection, presence, delight are also available, not only then, but now. Look at verse 11 in their text. Did you see this phrase? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Okay, quick quiz here, two-part question. What verse did we read something about the presence of God? And then second question, where, in fact, is God with respect to David and you and I? Okay, I'll give you a minute. Give you the Jeopardy. No, I won't. Answer time, okay? Pass your papers to the right. What are the answers? What verse? Verse eight. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Where is God? Before him, in front of him, and also right there beside him as the right-hand man. He's the finish line, and he's the friend who gets me to the finish line. He's the destination, and he is determined to get me to the destination. Now look at verse 11 again. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Question now, are we talking about heaven? Yes. Are we talking about right now? Yes. What? The presence of God bringing joy and security and stability and wisdom and insight and love and care and mercy and kindness in eternity and now. You see, the good life with the Lord Jesus Christ is the only life that can be enjoyed. It's the best good life ever, and it's the only life that can be enjoyed all the time, whether you've got nothing in your pockets or whether your pockets are fat, whether you have things in your garage or you don't even have a garage, whether you've got that person next to you or you're sitting solo. The good life is available right now, right now. You see, the good life is not just a final destination that you get to. Someday soon, pie in the sky, by and by, Lord, we're going to get there and it'll be all better. But it's also the journey with the Lord right now. He is with you right now in the weeds. He is with you right now in the muck and the pain and the difficulty of life. So why is this not connecting with us, right? Okay, well, are you living like that? Now listen, I'm just a guest, so, you know, throw me out if you want. But let me offer you a truth. Can I suggest to you that the reason why you're like this right now, not living in this right now, is not because life's pains are so much for you. And I don't want to trivialize that. 
because some of you are going through things that I can't even imagine. Some of you have pains that are an inch under the surface that are so deep and so hurtful and you have been called to carry something that you don't know what. Maybe they're health concerns. Maybe they're family concerns or financial concerns and you're carrying them right now. So I'm not making light of that. You're definitely up to your armpits in it. So why aren't you living the good life? Can I suggest to you that it's not because your life stinks. It's because your dream and your definition of a good life stinks. You're fixing your eyes on something you shouldn't be fixing your eyes on. And what David reminds us is we need to be fixing our eyes on the Lord. Every other dream I'm just going to wake up from and feel empty and hollow, but the dream of the presence of the Lord is something I can have right now. Listen, how would that change the way you live the rest of this year if you live that way? Some of, some of the people in my church, and I do know stories in our church, some of the people that smile the broadest in our church are people who've suffered the most. I bet you that's true here too. That if, that if the regular Joe who walks by them every morning knew their story, they'd be shocked at the joy that person has. But that person has as their good life the Lord. How would that change the way you finish this year? How would that change the way you think about the future? How would that change the way you view the world around you or even your difficulties right now? Okay, so what do we do? Because I'll be honest with you, dreams don't become a reality unless you pursue them, okay? So like if you're here today and you wanna be an NBA player but you never touch a basketball, hard truth time, you ain't gonna make it, okay? But if you have a dream, okay, I gotta change. I gotta follow the Lord. How do I do it? How do I do it? You gotta put in work. And the first step was tipped right away at the very first word of the psalm. Look back up. Preserve me, O God. Do you know that's the only thing he demands of the Lord? Please, God, keep me next to you. David understands his heart is prone to wander. David understands he's prone to look at other high grounds that are not gonna leave him satisfied. David gets this, and that's why he's calling out, please, God, please direct my heart to you. So there's a positive direction, but then there's a negative direction, and that's specific to you. Where is your definition laying right now? We know where it should be. Where is it? Here's what we're learning today that apart from the Lord, there is no good. We choose the Lord, and the good life is a choice that you make, and there is a right answer, and there is a wrong answer. And the right answer is the Lord, and the wrong answer is anything else. May the Lord lead us to that good life, all of us. Let me pray for us now. God, in many respects, this is the beginning of what you wanna do in our lives. Maybe, maybe conviction, maybe a challenge settling in today, maybe hearts realizing, you know, I have placed everything into this. And it is disappointed again and again and again. And the reason why there's emptiness and the reason why there's a lack of joy and the reason why there's a lack of contentment and a lack of discernment and, and discouragement is creeping in and despair is seeping in is because I have lost sight of you.
I have lost sight of you as my destination. I have lost sight of you as the person who is right next to me. And I believe, Lord, that for every single heart in you today, you are there right now, ready to help, ready to care, ready to lead. Lord, these days that are sitting ahead of us are are uncertain days. We don't know what the world will bring to us. We don't know what's coming next. In fact, we're more uncertain about our future than we've ever been, but we are certain of this, that you will be with us and that you who began a good work in us will carry it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God, find in us a brokenness, a grief over where we have turned, and Lord, we pray you would preserve us that you would guard us, that you would direct our hearts to you. Begin that work, Lord, in us, we pray in Jesus' name.